appreciate the worship team this morning. Amen. And the children and the special presentation this Easter Sunday morning. Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to a very important passage of Scripture regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. This is such an important truth. Jesus rose from the dead. Of all the core values and beliefs of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important. You might even say that ultimately the whole world can be divided up into two groups. Hear this. Those who believe in the resurrection and those who don't. It is the final and the ultimate test of our faith. Can I ask you this morning, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? That is His signature on your heart regarding your salvation. It is the greatest test of our faith. And I want us to focus this morning on one of the disciples who had a hard time believing. Have you ever had a hard time believing? Hard time accepting something that God was trying to show you. A hard time really trusting in the Lord in a new area, a new challenge. Well, we can certainly identify with this disciple. John chapter 20, beginning with verse 24. We uh, see what's happening as one of the disciples, Thomas, who had not been with the twelve at an earlier meeting where Jesus had through locked doors, had entered in and revealed himself and let the disciples examine him. And they knew that he was the Lord. Thomas wasn't there. And when he showed up at a later meeting, he was concerned over their testimony, what they had seen. And he reacted in a very human way that I'm sure that all of us can identify with. Verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where his nails were, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And through the door, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Underline those words in your Bible if you don't have them underlined already. My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And Jesus did many other miracles and signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that that by believing you may have life in His name. These things were written that we might believe. And we do believe, don't we? We do believe. 
Because we have encountered, we have experienced the risen Christ. And here is this disciple, Thomas. And we always call him Doubting Thomas. And you know, as, the more I learn about Thomas, the more I realize he got a pretty bad rap for that experience of not being able to readily accept the testimony of the disciple. We've just called him Doubting Thomas. Yet when we see him in the context of what was happening with the other disciples and certainly what happened after Pentecost when he went on to witness and serve the Lord, he was not Doubting Thomas. He was Faithful Thomas. He was Bold and Courageous Thomas, which shows us what happens when God deals with our doubt and leads us into greater faith. Just before we go any further, I just have to ask you this question. Have any of you ever doubted? Have you ever questioned some of the important teachings and values of our faith? Have you ever had a moment of hesitation not knowing whether you could fully believe? Now listen, Thomas has heard the testimony of the disciples and that's all he's got to go on. They saw the Lord as he appeared to them in that room, that meeting, and he wasn't there. And now it's their testimony. And you know, I can kind of identify with Thomas. I'm not sure if all I had to go on was the word of the disciples that I would fully believe it. How about you? They didn't have the very best record in terms of their faithfulness. In terms of their ability to understand what God was really doing. And so Thomas was asking and needed just what they had received. They had seen the Lord. They had seen His nail pierced hands, they'd seen the wound in his side. And Thomas wanted the same experience. And so before we're too quick to judge Thomas, we need to look at our own hearts and ask, you know, are there times when we are seeking the Lord and wanting additional evidence and help and understanding what he's really trying to tell us? Let me share with you that it's very important for us to know that It's not a sin, it's not wrong to have doubts if we take those doubts to the Lord in an honest seeking. Do you understand what I'm saying? Any faith that cannot handle questions is not worth a faith, is not a faith worth having. If you've got questions, if you've got concerns, if there are things unsettled, if you'll take those things to God, If you open God's word and study, if you will ask the Lord to examine your heart and be open to how the Holy Spirit may help you to believe, you will come to a tested faith, a a faith that is strong and solid and is able to be courageous in this world. I'm concerned about the faith that has not been tested, the faith that cannot endure questions. The faith that is assumed and not understood. And so we really might respect and appreciate Thomas in the way he responded to this situation. He said, I really want to see. I really want to know for myself. And isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit included this event in Scripture to build our faith? And it certainly does, doesn't it? It certainly builds our faith to see one of the disciples who really should have known better but didn't and wanted 
additional evidence that this really was the Lord. Now, let me pause here a moment and say, listen, wherever you are in your relationship with God, wherever your heart is searching, whatever your questions may be, know this, hear this, God loves you enough to see you through the struggle of your faith to help you come to a real and genuine relationship with him. I would say that most of us that are here this morning have gone through that type of serious testing. And you know, Thomas was in good company in every generation, even in our generation of people who have doubted and not understood. Have you ever heard Billy Graham's testimony about the time he went through a very serious season of doubt and uncertainty? He had graduated from college and was preparing for the ministry and wondered if he should go on to graduate school and study some of the deeper issues of the faith. And as he pursued that, he realized that he had gradually developed some very serious doubts regarding the authority of Scripture, even the resurrection of Christ. Billy Graham, this is his testimony. How many of you find it hard to believe that Billy Graham ever had a doubt? But as he looked for answers... As he asked questions, as he searched the word, as he asked God to help him to understand his calling, he realized that his faith was being tested and he had to make a choice. And he realized that, now hear this, that as much as he had gone to school, as many answers as he had, he would never completely intellectually understand all that God had done. And that was the place where faith needed to take hold. And by the way, realize this. God has given us minds, and it's very important for us to use our minds effectively, to apply our minds to the Scripture, and to test our faith. But realize this, that faith goes beyond the realm of reason. We can only reason so far, and then faith must take hold. And that's a mystery. It's a mystery for every one of us how that works. I went through a serious period of doubt when I was a, a, a teenager, a young adult. Went to university and heard professors explain away the Gospels. Explain that there really is no way that a reasonable person would have this type of faith. And through that testing, I went deeper and discovered Jesus Christ, the reality the, the truth of his witness. And so it is with so many of us today. Let me give you two more quick examples of some who have doubted and came to a greater faith. Mother Teresa. Did you know that in her struggle to know God and to have intimacy with God, there was a great agony and void in her life. And she began to fill it by trying to show God love, by loving people who were in need. And her journey to uh, India and Calcutta and the care for the orphans was a big part about her desire to, to know God and to love Him more and express His love to those in need. And as people examine her life, as her journals have recently been opened and people have been able to study her journey of faith, we realize that somehow in her uncertainty, God used her in an incredible way to reach thousands and tens of thousands, even millions. And so it is. This is a mystery. How it is that God works with us in our faith and our not knowing and 
he leads us to greater faith. One more example I want to share with you. A scientist by the name of John Clayton. Have you heard of him? He was a young man who grew up in a second-generation atheist home that was being groomed to lead atheism after Madeleine Murray O'Hare. His parents were both scientists, and he became a scientist. He became an astronomer and a physicist, and he was being prepared to lead in the debate against Christianity. And uh, Madeleine Murray O'Hare gave him an interesting assignment to go to the Scripture, the New Testament, and look at it historically and apply any tests of science that he might and come to his own conclusions and prepare a series of lectures on how science proves that God does not exist. So he had quite a project here. And the truth is he had never studied the Bible before. As he began to study, he realized there was a lot there that he didn't know about. And he studied more and something began to happen that was unsettling in terms of the conclusions that his parents and the leaders of the atheist movement had come to. And as he continued to study, he realized that there was something very special and very significant about Jesus Christ. And that through 2,000 years of history, his life and his witness had not been refuted. And before it was all over, he found himself kneeling at his desk, asking God's forgiveness and accepting Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Well, he surprised the atheists when he did go on his lecture tour because his lecture tour became called How Science Proves the Existence of God. Disappointed. Disappointed his parents, Madeline Murray O'Hare and all the atheists. But it was his honest questioning that led him to the conclusion the conclusion which had everything to do with his salvation and his perception of reality. Let me encourage you, and you, you young people who have to go to school and listen to teachers and read books, don't be afraid of the questions regarding your faith. Just see through the questions to a God who is really there and really cares, and he can handle all of your questioning. He can handle all of your doubts and all of your fears. Just continue to seek Him, and His kingdom will be revealed. Well, let's get back to Thomas and see what happened as he faced Christ and came to his own personal faith and confidence that he truly, he truly had risen from the dead. I want you to see this uh, dramatic event of Thomas and Jesus in three parts, okay? And the first part, I want you to see, uh, we, could, we could say Thomas the doubter, but I want you to see Thomas more as the worrier. Because there's a difference between doubt and unbelief, the way it's revealed in this scripture and in all of, of, of the Bible, that I want to explain to you. Listen, doubt can exist when there is an honest questioning to know the truth. Unbelief, which is based on pride and rebellion towards God, does not seek truth but evidence that the unbelief is warranted. Do you understand what I... Unbelief is a problem of the heart. Doubt is a problem of the head. Now, how many of you have trouble with your head sometimes? 
That's okay as long as the heart is connected. Do you see the difference? There is a big difference. And if your heart is connected to God, the doubt, the question, the the, the research, the discussion will ultimately lead, lead to a greater faith. Now, we look at Thomas and we have to feel sorry for the guy because he, was at, he missed an important meeting. The disciples had gathered and Jesus showed up and he missed it. And why did he miss it? Well, some speculate that he was off feeling sorry for himself and depressed and didn't want to be with the other disciples. We feel that way sometimes, don't we? When we're feeling bad, we're feeling depressed, we don't want to be around people. It really, it really is a challenge to, to be with others and to participate meaningfully in fellowship. Well, for, for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there. And here we might even project that it's important when, when God's people are together, here are the disciples, that we realize the importance of that gathering and we try to be with God's people. That's why we read in Hebrews that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. What did Thomas miss? What did he miss by not being with the disciples? Well, three things. Most important, he missed the presence of Jesus Christ. That was the promise that if two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. And that's something we miss when we're not with the people of God today. When we miss church, we miss the presence of God manifested in a very special way. Second, he missed the power of Jesus Christ as Jesus walked through those walls. And the scripture says he performed so many miracles. They're not included in this book. The power of Christ to heal, to deliver, to help in so many ways. And when we miss being together with God's people, we miss that power. The third thing he missed was the peace of Jesus Christ. As they gathered, Jesus met with them, and there was a healing word he brought to them by simply saying, Peace be unto you. They were not feeling very peaceful at that moment. They were, their hearts were ripped apart by what they had witnessed at the cross, not knowing what happened to him, hoping that he truly was risen, but when he showed up and he said, peace, peace be unto you, they received his peace. That's important for us to experience the peace of Christ when we come to church. Don't you agree? There's an age-old tradition in the church of passing the peace. And we do that in our greeting time where we give reassurance and encouragement. You know, I like my peace with a big hug. How about yours? And you know, some of you hug me in such a way that I feel the peace. The peace that only God can give. And I need that. I need that on a regular basis. And some of us like groups by nature more than others. You know, my wife loves fellowship and friendship. Very social person. I've never been much of a social person. It's been one of my biggest challenges, even in the ministry. Because naturally, I'm not a very social person. But I have realized more and more as I grow... That it's being in church with God's people isn't just being about being a social person. We need to be together. Because we need the presence of the Lord. We need the power of the Lord. We need the peace of the Lord. 
And so can I just go, so don't miss church. Don't miss church. You miss the blessing that God has for you. Thomas missed all that, and now he's worried. <laughs> hey, what happened? <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a difficult position to be in. What happened? He wasn't there. And then he realized that Jesus had proved himself to them and showed them the signs. And Thomas, you know, I wish I had seen that. And I would believe now more. I would believe like you're believing rather than having this worry and this struggle. And so we leave Thomas there with this worry. And then he meets with the disciples again. And as they are meeting, not expecting anything to happen, Jesus shows up again. And he shows up for Thomas. Isn't that exciting? He'd already done this with the others. Does, does that tell you that God believes that each individual is special? Aren't you glad God didn't say, well, Thomas, you had your chance. You missed it. You missed church, so you're not going to get the blessing next time. No, no, no. He shows up. Now, get this. He shows up, and he offers himself to be personally examined by one worried disciple. What does that tell you about how much God loves each of us? How much God wants you to know? That he's real. That, he's, that he cares. And just as Jesus is saying here, my hands, the nail, my, my side, the, you know, the, the, the crown of thorns, the it's all there. Th- you, you think the, by Thomas's attitude that he wants to do a complete and thorough examination of Christ before he believes. No. He doesn't even have to touch Jesus. He sees him, he hears his voice, and he falls before him. My Lord and my God. The ultimate expression of worship. My Lord and my God. He couldn't say anything greater than that. More meaningful, more relevant than that. And this is how God, and let me just say it this way, this is how God leads us out of worry. It's not by thinking and figuring it out. Hear it. It's by worship. Worship. Reasoning will never get you out of worry. As you begin to behold the Lord and His sufficiency... God does something in your heart. And listen, it's an act of grace. God gives you the capacity to know and to understand and to worship. And that's why we've got to stop thinking that worship is a feeling that we have or a style of music that we like, you know, or a tradition that we want to observe. Listen, worship is about the grace of God that He gives us, hear this, to know Him as He really is. And we need that, don't we? We need that, don't we? 
And so forgive me, but please don't let yourself become a critic of Christianity, a critic of worship, a critic of all that's happening that Christian people may be fine me, but realize that what it's really about is how you respond to Christ. You, 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 me, each of us. And the only way we move out of worry is to receive the grace of that encounter with God and begin to worship. And guess what? Sometimes your worship can be embarrassing for you and for everyone else. That's happened to me before. Stuck in traffic with my windows open. How about you? I'll never forget what time. I, I really think this lady thought that I was crazy. Because the, the windows were open, I didn't realize it, and I was listening to some worship, and I said, Hallelujah! And she looked at me like, What is going on over there? And then she kind of smiled, and then she rolled up her window. And she, <laughs> she went on. But what was happening in my heart in that moment? My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Hey, Thomas taught me how to worship that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you know what? I'm a Thomas by nature. You are too, whether you admit it or not. In our fallen natural mind, we want to live by what we see and what we hear and what we can know. God wants to elevate us to a place where we can say, my Lord and my God. I need that this Easter. How about you? I need more than some colored eggs and some happy bunnies. And I'm grateful for the wonderful uh, uh, breakfast we had this morning. But you know what I need? I need just what Thomas needed. My Lord and my God. Now, there's more. As Thomas moved from worry to worship, worship, something very special and spectacular happened to him that transformed him. Now, listen. Thomas was never known as Doubting Thomas after this event. He doesn't appear again until Pentecost and beyond. And listen. I heard something very special about Thomas a number of years ago when I met a person who became a good friend, a dean of theology at Oral Roberts University, Tom Matthew, who grew up in India. He grew up in India. And God sent him to the U.S. and he got his education and he became a theologian and a teacher and a leader in the charismatic and Pentecostal movement. Anyway, he always seemed to be fond of Thomas and I didn't know why. And one day I just asked him, what about... He said, oh, you don't know about Thomas? Hear this. Thomas, he's the disciple who carried the cross from Jerusalem through Persia and preached the gospel in India and established the Christian faith in India. And he said, my father... And my grandfather 
And I don't know how many fathers before that have been preaching that gospel because Thomas carried the cross to India. Thomas, one man, one man. And the church in India is a marvel to behold. But listen, as surely as God used Thomas to establish his church in India, the whole world has been blessed. They don't call him Doubting Thomas in India. They see this as a step of faith, of preparation. And so should we. Listen, Thomas should be commended for his loyalty and his boldness and his faithfulness. And by the way, do you know how, Tom, how he eventually died? It was in India. He died at the head of a spear as a martyr for Jesus Christ. That doesn't sound like doubting Thomas to me, does it you? Was he doubting when that spear was thrust through his heart? No, he believed. There was still my Lord and my God in his heart. And so the third part of this that I want you to see this morning is the part that we all share in. As Thomas started out with worry and God led him to worship. And the third part is that his, the rest of his life was lived in wonder of the incredible Jesus Christ and what he was doing in the earth. The wonder of all that. And it was that sense of wonder that enabled him to take up the cross and press forward out of Jerusalem, through Persia, into India. And I think that's the wonder we see at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell and they were all filled and spoke with other tongues and God sent the church to the uttermost part of the earth and it's the same kind of wonder that needs to fill your heart and my heart today as we worship and serve the Lord. Let me tell you, this is real. I look back at my life and I I think about the great plans I had for my life. And I wanted to do some great things in this world. Some of my families here, they can tell you how, how ambitious that I was as a young man. Let me say it this way. Because one day I, I came to the place where I had to face the Lord myself. And He offered to let me touch His wounds. And we all have that experience, don't we? Something happened. I was transformed. And let me say this. I've been living in the wonder of that ever since. And we'll live in that for all eternity. Because that's the purpose. Jesus wasn't interested in starting another religion. He wasn't interested in convincing the disciples to agree. Wouldn't it have been sad if the disciples would have said, Okay, well, let's get together and let's go ahead and vote on whether he's really the Christ. Whether we should really... No, they were awestruck in the wonder of who he was and what he had done. And their lives were changed. They were ruined. They couldn't be fishermen and tax collectors. They couldn't do the work they'd done. They were transformed. 
And what a wonder it truly, truly was. I need to summarize because we want to have enough time to share in communion this morning. But let me just encourage you. This is Easter Sunday and our service isn't over yet. It's not too late for you to see Jesus. It's not too late for you to experience the wonder. It's not too late for you to say those words in response to His love. My Lord and my God. Jesus even planned that when we gathered together at His table, that would be our experience. His body and His blood. He doesn't say as much about Easter services... (laughs) that will follow as he does about his body and his blood. This do in remembrance of me. And Christians gathering on the day of the resurrection, that's why, we resur- that's why we worship God on Sunday, the first day of the week, rather on Saturday, which was the tradition of the Jews, which we heard more about on, at the Seder, didn't we? But resurrection Sunday... And His presence being offered, given to us through the cup and through the bread. You know what? I'm concerned about anyone here this morning who comes worried like Thomas was and leaves worried. Is that possible? You come worried and you leave worried. What's the difference? Jesus. It's not, the, it's not the service. It's not, we have a wonderful children's program, worship team. All, no. Jesus. Jesus. Will you? Will you see him and hear him and touch him? And more, will you let him touch you? Will you let him reveal himself to you? It's not too late. And the power of this witness, the power of this witness continues. It will continue until the end when he comes back. Hey, when he comes back and it's all over and it's going to be the same kind of a deal. Here we are, planet Earth, falling apart. And then all of a sudden he appears, my Lord and my God. That's the way it all ends, folks. That's the way it ends for you personally when you go home to be with the Lord. You may, you may, Jesus may come for you before he comes for the rest of it. Where is it all headed? There you are at the end of your life. There's nothing left to say. Look up. My Lord and my God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, certainly evident here this morning. We ask you to help us to be as bold as Thomas and to approach you and ask you to help us to see and to know and to understand as you are truly worthy, worthy, worthy to be known and to be worshipped as we share even with this apostle in saying his words.
my Lord and my God. We thank you for this opportunity to participate in communion. As you told us to do this in remembrance of you. And what you expect to happen as we receive these very important elements. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We invite you to participate with us this morning as we join around the Lord's table. In a few moments, you'll be served communion. And uh, the method in which we've chosen to do it this morning is that you'll partake as you're individually served. And uh, it'll take a little longer that way, but overall, it'll take a shorter time. And uh, we did not want to leave communion out of our Easter morning service. It certainly uh, is an important part, and especially for those 80 or more that were in the Seder on Friday night and uh, how important this became to them. In the scripture, the Lord talks about what this is all about that it's our identification with him as we participate in receiving the elements of communion, the broken bread, which is a symbol of his broken body, which bore in it the full penalty for our sin, and then the taking of the cup, the grape juice symbolic of his shed blood, is uh, a, a, a testimony, it is a symbol of the covenant that is between us and the Lord. God has made a new covenant through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. The penalty for our sins has been paid for on the cross. And Jesus' shed blood is an eternal testimony of that. Now, just to give you a little, little idea of how important that is, when Jesus on resurrection morning, which we celebrate today, when he first rose from the dead, he would not let anyone touch him. He said, Touch me not, for I have not ascended unto the Father. Later on that day, he said, Touch me, feel me. What happened was that he took the blood that he had shed on the cross to put as an eternal testimony before the very throne of God. And that blood right now is a testimony before God of his having paid the price for your sin and for mine. When you say, Lord, forgive me for Jesus' sake, the Father looks at the blood and he says, Amen. Amen. That's where it was met. As you receive the elements of communion this morning, I want you to remember that what this represents is an eternal covenant that God has made between you and him forever. Forever. Amen.